That's right, Power Ballad Thursday. On this day in 91, Brian Adams tops the charts with this song here, written for the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Adams said that initially the song didn't meet Hollywood approval as the film company wanted the song to have lutes and mandolins. Uh, you know, because of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Adam said, no, thank you. Uh, Hollywood relented, but still buried the song in the end credits, but the song uh, had the last laugh. It became a massive hit, and no one to this day knows what happens in Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is one of those anthems, though, right? Isn't like, it? It is. It's just, it's, Peter, there's something about it, eh? I think he could do that. That voice could work with lutes and mandolins. I think that yeah. voice could work with anything. Maybe, My maybe God, they, is there spirit and emotion maybe, in that voice? Uh, you got it. You got it. Uh, and by the way, uh, Matariki, a weekend. Uh, if there is something really special you're doing with Fana, I'd love to hear about it. Why don't you email me and we'll read it out or a shout out to uh, a real loved one that uh, you want to acknowledge or miss or what have you. Uh, Chris in Dunedin says, I would live in Gdansk, Poland. How about that? This is interesting. If I could live anywhere in the world, I would live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa is a city of art, literature, history, so much more. When I've taken New Zealanders home to visit, they've been so impressed. Have you been to Tulsa? I've driven through. Ah, (laughs) And I I didn't really mind. I mean, Oklahoma is interesting in itself. And this is the the northeastern quadrant of Tulsa. So it's a long way from anything else. So if you want to be there in Tulsa and, and, you know, you have to like flat and you have to like thunderstorms and occasionally tornadoes. But of course, yes. Uh, And they say uh, I grew up listening to my local NPR station in Oklahoma, KOSU. It's a lifeline. Very you good. should have stopped. You shouldn't have driven through. Huh, exactly. Anyway. Um, uh, the Mahana. Will Rogers Highway, by yeah. the way. Uh, Will Rogers was from Tulsa. Ngā mihi mahana Otewa, Wallace Chapman with you. Courts see some of the hardest times of people's lives with backlogs ballooning. Many people don't have to imagine their case dragging on and on and on. It's reality. Coroner's court average 497 days. District court criminal cases, 176 days. Family court, those waiting more than three years, has tripled. The backlogs have been increasing over the past five years. To discuss, we have Fiona Cleary from the Law Society's Criminal Law Committee. Fiona, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Uh, very well. Thanks for being with us. Does this no square problem. with what you're seeing and, and what delays are you seeing? Well, I think... Um, it's important to realise that delays are always present in this type of work, but certainly post-COVID and after these severe weather events that have really devastated the North Island, we are seeing this backlog of cases just balloon to really kind of unprecedented levels. I'd like to know what sort of impact it has on people waiting if you have a criminal case for, you know, 176 days, family court, more than three years, that's almost like a life on hold. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think I can overstate the stress and anxiety that falls on all participants involved in these kinds of trials. I'm sure, as Ruth can attest, I mean, it's just devastating on victims and survivors, um, witnesses, but also, obviously, on people who have been charged with these serious offences because they are often remanded in custody for long periods of time or they're on really restrictive bail conditions. So everyone's lives are really just 
under this cloud of the system for, you know, over a year sometimes, which is terrible. Ruth? Uh, kia ora, Fiona. Yes, um, it delays everybody, and, and, I, and I guess that's the quote, right? Justice delayed is justice denied. Absolutely. Um, uh, to be fair, though, I think even before the weather and the COVID delays, I mean, it's just been woeful. Um, it was terrible going into COVID, or, you know, 2020, let alone now. Um, is there anything, I mean, I'm on the ground and from a criminal process improvement program perspective, there doesn't really, well, I can't see anything on a day-to-day that is going to improve this. Have you got a different take on that? I mean, I don't have the silver bullet answer, unfortunately. I, I really wish that I did. I know that at every point in the process there are, you know, there are issues that need to be resolved. I know um, the Law Society, which is obviously where I'm kind of most um, in touch with, has been involved in trying to develop um, initiatives to, to kind of identify the issues and try to ameliorate them. But it really is going to come down to resourcing, I think, you know, at, at every at every level. There's no magic magic solution, unfortunately. I know a while ago we had extended hours out at Monaco where uh, we may have started at nine, not at ten, or the odd Saturday morning. Do you think something right. practical like that where we just extend the days by an hour every day? I mean, I know okay. it's not ideal for those people mm. working in the system, but it's causing such um, trauma to those in the system that maybe we all need to knuckle down and do an extra day here and there. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think um, everything should be on the table and everything should be looked at. I do worry about some of the the people in the system who are under incredible stress, as it is. So I would obviously, I think, everyone would agree that we need to focus on progressing this backlog in whatever way we can, but it can't be at the expense of the interests of justice and people's rights to a fair trial and obviously at the expense of lawyers mental health and well-being. So I don't know. It's definitely something that could be could be looked at. What was that program? Was it Night Court? I don't know. From Well, Andy's text, uh, Andy has texted in, uh, the Justice Department should run night courts. Peter yeah. Field, let's bring you in. Right, well, okay, there's things to do in the court. But, of course, I, I've just written a book about a, a famous courtroom lawyer. He also happened to go on to be president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln was really adamant, as much as he loved the law, of mediation, of finding ways to avoid court. And to me, it always has to turn on that, which is ultimately, if we can be friends and settle our differences without being litigious, we're always better off. The courts are crucial. Your day in court is essential in democracy. But even more important is to remind ourselves that we share so much more than we don't and so we should try to resolve things, especially family court, yeah. without involving the state, okay. if possible. Yeah, kia ora, Peter. Um, now, um, uh, Fiona, um, of course, Minister Rino Tirikatani said, this is uh, his view, that the main drivers are, uh, I want to get your thoughts on this, people mm-hmm. pleading guilty later in the court process, more adjournments of court events to a later date, and more people electing jury trials, along with those exacerbated COVID restrictions. What's What are your views on that? Yeah, I mean, I agree that all of those things are evident in the system, but yeah, they're so complex. I mean, there's no, there's no simple answer that I can give you. I mean, guilty pleas 
are coming later for a, a number of reasons. Um, for example, it could be that disclosure is provided later. It could be that um, you know someone who's in the system just doesn't want to engage with the system until right at the last minute. It's a very human process that we're we're all involved in. But there are there are certainly lots of reasons why guilty pleas are coming when they do. Okay. Um, I think there probably are a lot of appearances which are happening that possibly don't need to happen. And I know the law society is looking into ways to reduce the number of those appearances. Um, and then with respect to jury trial elections, that's again that's such a complex issue. There's lots of reasons why people would prefer to be tried by a jury and not by just a judge alone. So. Yeah. Here's one. William says, I have a case going to trial in September 2023 in the Auckland District Court. The defendant was charged in mid-2020, and since then the trial was deferred twice with a further delay last month. So uh, I can only imagine the headspace <laughs> that would take having a trial hang over you for three years. Um, Ruth, the final comment on this. Yeah, look, I'm here to all the survivor and and victims who are waiting. Your life literally is on hold, and I understand that. I walk that journey with you every day. Um, The staff in the courts are all trying to do their best. Um, I think we need to do some extra hours, and we need to pull our finger out and just put some common sense into it and move this stuff along because it's affecting lives, genuinely affecting lives. All right, Fiona, kia ora. Thank you for your time there. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's Fiona Cleary from the Law Society's Criminal Law uh, Committee. Marilyn does say, I'm a lawyer in the family and district courts. I already work long hours, including weekends. It's more judges we need. Fair point? Yes, look, we all in the system work long hours, um, and I think the harm um, that is going on in the system, I think extra hour a day may be able just to release a little bit of pain. All right. It's 15 away from five, the panel. Ruth Money and Peter Field with me. Loving your feedback. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to uh, do the final story, which is uh, what country would you up sticks and move to if you could? Kia ora, Wallace panel. I would live in Hawaii because that is the equivalent of Mecca for surfers like me. I'm 66 and I still surf throughout the year, but when I'm sitting out in the lineup in July, freezing my watsits off despite wearing neoprene rubber from head to toe, I fantasise about dropping into a big right hander at Rocky Point. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> you won't get that in Piha. <laughs> I hope I feel that way at 66. Oh, kia ora, Andrew, for that. Um, yeah, what, what what poetry there? Who was personally super wants to go and live in Hawaii? It is um, fourteen to five. The panel. I love this story. I'm, I can't wait to talk about it. The Ministry of Education is going to put new carpet in more than six hundred rural schools. But get this: some of the schools are saying thanks, but no thanks. What's the problem? They say, hey, what about wool? Local wool. It would support the industry and make for great school carpet instead of the nylon carpet the Ministry of Education has chosen. With us, the New Zealand Rural Schools Leadership Association President, Andrew King. Welcome, Andrew. Kia ora, Wallace. Let me get this absolutely straight. Some of the schools are saying no to free carpet. 
Well, it's it's a bit more complicated than that. So there's a, a great program called uh, Nga Iti Kahurangi, which is a ministry initiative to support um, rural schools with bulk purchasing. And that's been a, a, a really successful and positive um, initiative, releasing the financial burden for small schools rather than buying um, capital items and so forth that on their own. They're doing it um, collectively as a, as a group of schools. No, why, um, so you keep going, sorry. the idea is great. You got it. Uh, why do they want wool instead? So this is where, I guess, principles of small schools are like a meat in the sandwich. Um, they're representing and invested in their rural community, um, representing rural farmers, farmers of sheep, beef, cattle, um, you name it. Um, but, of course, those rural communities are strong advocates for supporting the wool industry um, where possible. So for them, where the principal is representing them, it's, um, logical to be going with wool carpets supporting New Zealand industry. Ruth, you're nodding your head. Oh, I'm very excited about this. Um, I'm upset that the ministry didn't do more, but I, I'm actually interested on the take that it should just be rural schools. I mean, surely all New Zealand schools, um, every school, every kura in Aotearoa should be supporting wool because that's us. Okay, big yeah, support there, Andrew. Sorry? Big support there if I'm Ruth. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I agree, and also in terms of sustainability as well. Um, the You know, a wool product is, is great um, in terms of sustainability and you're not importing or necessarily having to import the wool. Okay, P Peter Field. Yes, any, anyway, it's delightful, isn't it? This is the national radio, Radio Ozeal National, and we are supporting the farmers. Yeah. So that's good. So remember, in other cases, in other contexts, in other stories, it's very easy to criticize the farmers. We talk about climate change and the farmers get a raw deal. So it's wonderful here that okay, we're so talking what, on Radio New Zealand. Well, and you're from farmers. farming stock too, aren't you, Ruth? I am. Yeah. I am. Now, um, someone says here, Andrew, wool is not a good choice for fabrics in a public place. Many people are allergic to wool lanolin. High allergen products like wool are not good for public environments compared to your, you know, your your clean synthetics. Mm. Uh, you could argue that. Um, you can, surely with technology, there is good good wool options that um, are durable and and last the distance. Sure. All right. So what are the next steps from here? Will the schools have to use their own funds to get the wool carpet they want? Well, yes, they would. The ministry is committed to this other option. Um, however, I guess a next step and a possible solution is the ministry offering schools or looking at offering schools a woolen option. Um, yeah, sure, the schools might have to pay a little bit for that, but I guess that would be a good compromise as... Um, for the schools that are determined that they want the wool carpets, that the ministry would say, yep, that's fine, you have to pay a bit extra for that. Um, so we might have to come back to the science of wool too, Andrew, because some, someone is saying, yeah. what rubbish, wool is healthy, synthetic sheds plastic microfibres. Well, uh, exactly, and then the end of... 
Yes, um, at the end of the lifetime of, of the car, of the of the Hi. of the synthetic, you have to do something with it. Yeah, and so that's something yeah. to remember too. The wool yeah. you can compost around your. We we use a lot of wool for like mulch, etc. There's lots oh, okay. of uses yeah. for wool. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. All right, now we might return to the story, Andrew. But all, but for now, thank you very much for uh, participating in the panel this afternoon. No problem. Thank you. Uh, very, very good. Um, Wallace, do mention the fire hazard of plastic carpets and the inhalation of plastic microfibers by vulnerable children. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much on that. Nine to five, well, we've come to this. Now, uh, of course, uh, where is the best country? It's Matariki weekend, of course. Uh, so the best country, best country, of course, is Aotearoa. We know that. But saying that, saying that, New Zealand has missed out on being named the greatest country on earth uh, for the first time in 10 years in a UK Telegraph Reader's poll, which is actually a very big poll. Now this week it was announced South Africa claimed the number one spot as the greatest country ranking, ending New Zealand's decade-long dominance. Apparently Cape Town, the greatest city with true beauty, Table Mountain, the Garden Route, a ribbon of uh, road trip Nevada, amazing wineries like Stellenbosch, crafting the finest vintages, Kruger National Park. Where is it for you? What We had so much response to this and wonderful responses, but with us now is Chris. Chris is on the line. Kia ora, Chris. Yeah, hello, Wallace. How are you? It's lovely to have you on, Chris. So, um, without further ado, if there's one place in the whole wide world, planet Earth, you would choose it is where? Um, Medellin, which is um, a city in Colombia. Oh, tell me more. Why? Well, I, I think in the end it's really a matter of what your experiences were in a particular place rather than how good a city might be for long term. And I was only there for a week or so, Wallace, but I was doing a motorcycle trip around the world, where I still am actually, and had um, arrived in Colombia from um, Panama City. Um, and my bike was uh, was flown into uh, Bogota, and then I rode north into, up to um, Medellin, and um, uh, I was tired, and I arrived in the city. It was just a wonderful place, uh, modern. I expected Colombia to be full of drugs and, you know, all sorts of strange things, and I saw none of that. I just saw a modern city, young, vibrant place, cycle trails everywhere, good climate, uh, lovely cafes, wonderful wow. coffee. Uh, good food. Yeah, it was just a fabulous place. And I well, only intended to stay a couple of days, and I ended up staying about seven or eight days. Well, my wonderful uh, tech operator, Hamish here, who's a comedian also, he said um, that uh, he doesn't want to go there because Pablo, Pablo Escobar's from there. <laughs> I didn't even know that. but um, He'd be dead, I think. I, I, but I, yes, I, the I, Medellin I, cartel I, is famous. I, I would suggest just get over it and go there. <laughs> There you go, Hamish. Get over it again. Look, this is this is interesting because Ruth, I have or Peter, have you been? Because I have heard about Medellin, how it's just absolutely fantastic. No, no, the best, the closest I've come is Colombian girlfriend. Okay, wow. and the food. She, she was a good cook. Wonderful, fresh food. Fun fair fair enough, food. Ruth. Uh, no, that's a negative for me. All right, so you'd go back. You'd go there again. Chris. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. All right. Um, but, but mind you, I might I must say, I mean, like when I was replying to your question, um, I thought of around about seven or eight cities in the world that I would um, probably equally put down, but that one probably was, at the very moment, was the one I picked. 
Very good, Chris. Thanks for being with us. All right, and listen to that. Is let's go to another part of the world. So the the question again: If there uh, is one place you would uh, choose apart from the wonderful Aotearoa, where would it be? Merit's on the line. Welcome, Merit. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora. Now, what about you? Uh, well, I was born at Bern in Switzerland, <laughs> and um, I. And first of all, I want to say I feel very, very privileged to be have grown up in Aotearoa, and I did go back to live in Bern for seven years in my early twenties, and I think it's those memories again. Mm. But the great thing about Bern is that um, it's got a, a river that flows right around the city, and people use it as there's no so the, there's no cars in the city, which is a good thing. No cars, and no cars in the city trams. at all. No, everyone bikes around. Not in the old city. You're not allowed to go drive there with a car. It's the capital. And in the capital summer, you can swim around the city with the river. What? You get your clothes and you put them in a wet bag, and instead of using public transport, you go from one part of the city to the other and via the river while swimming. You blow my mind. <laughs> Everyone's happy. I'm just going to check in with my wonderful tech op Hamish. Is there any danger points in Ben? <laughs> I can't think of any. All right, thank you, Hamish. Thumbs up there, Ruth. Oh, that's good. I'm excited about swimming around the city. That's so cool. It is so cool. Yeah, and the other amazing thing, I guess it's memories again, is that I met my partner there, my Hoarangatira, and he, um, we figured out not so long ago that we were both born in the same hospital at the same time. So we would (laughs) have... And <laughs> well, I'm going to point out too that I'm on the panel mm-hmm. here, and my two panel mates tell me that they've not lived outside ever. of Aotearoa ever. ever. So this is very curious to yeah. you, isn't it? So what's what's your uh, thoughts on this? You're hearing Merritt there, um, born in is it Ben or Burn, Merritt? Burn, yeah, Burn, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I did have to come back to New Zealand because I miss. I miss the Switzerland is a little bit of an island of its own, a landlocked island, <laughs> and it was hard for me to get used to not being by the sea. Oh, so okay. By the sea. Right. Yeah. Well, it depends what you want. So we have three children, yeah. and our children are the apple of our eye, and being able to walk them um, without any threat of danger or snipers to Island School in the morning and then on to Cobham yes. and Burnside High School. Um, we, we left New Zealand, uh, came back because we realized that this, in our view, was at least the best place in the world to raise kids. We call them free-range really? kids here. Yes. Really? Yeah. That's yes. right. Absolutely. Yeah, the best I would agree. I so, would agree with that. Again, living in Bern or Paris, the city of lights, or Firenze, going to Florence, these are wonderful things to do. I'm a New Yorker uh, by birth, but I actually think if you're going to have a family and raise them, you could do no better, I feel, this than is uh, the mainland of New Zealand. I, I hope the whole country's listening I, to this. Because, I would agree. Yeah, because we, we, we're, right now there's a, there's a lot of people down on New Zealand right now. But here you two are. We have a, we have a panelist here who would rather be in Christchurch than New York City, uh, and Merritt here who would rather be in Aotearoa than Ben. Well, I've got to say, though, Ruth and I are both saying, we would love to swim in our rivers as well. That's astonishing. Yes. Yeah. Let's keep those rivers clean and then we can swim in our cities. Good yeah. on you. Any, you doing anything special for Matariki? Um, yes. We go and um, we live in Golden Bay. We go and get up at four in the morning and watch the mother if, if the weather's going to play along. Yep. We go and watch the stars. And there's also some shags that feed on rocks at four o'clock in the morning that come flying in. That's pretty special thing to see they and then they regurgitate them so you're in one of the best (laughs) we watch the shags and the stars and the sunrise oh you're in the best spot in the world golden bay i know it well yeah thanks for being with us
There it. That's our pal coming into Matariki uh, weekend. Isn't it great? What a wonderful story. And Wallace, what stories. are you going to do? You have to tell us what I, your Matariki plans are. Uh, we are going to have fish and chips at Blockhouse Bay Beach oh, and please. watch the stars. That's my Matariki. Ruth Money, Peter Field, thank you so much. Big thanks to Jan, my producer, to Hamish for providing the feedback. Uh, and I will see you all 3.45 Monday till then.